Happy February, everyone. Welcome back to The Dark Room, where two blind cinephiles illuminate the sighted. I'm Lee Pugsley. I'm Alex Howard. And this is a podcast hosted by two legally blind guys for film lovers of all abilities. And today we have a really fun show planned for you. Alex, why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, so I went to Sundance with my friend Jamie. So Jamie is on with us today. Hello, and thanks for having me again. It's been a wild year. Excited to be in 2024 and to talk Sundance with you both. And Jamie was my companion at Sundance. So for today's episode, we are doing the blind Sundance experience. So I was lucky enough this year to go to Sundance. We're going to be talking about how it differs from other film festivals, the transportation situation, but then also we're going to talk about the films that Jamie and I saw at the festival and then one film that Lee and I watched together virtually. We should say that we're going to discuss these films, but not go into spoilers. Nothing more than a logline or trailer already gave away. To preface, if you don't know what Sundance is, Sundance is an international film festival that takes place in Park City, Utah. This year was the 40th anniversary of the festival, and it's the first big deal film festival of every year. But yeah, so Sundance is known for the bidding war, a lot of networking, it's in the snow, it's a really iconic film festival. It's always been my dream to go to this festival. So I went virtually in 2021, and in 2024, this is my first year going in person. One difference between Sundance and TIFF, which we did a TIFF episode in September, Sundance is much more spread out. TIFF is like four theaters all walking distance from each other. Sundance, you have to take buses. The theaters are not close. So it's a much different feel, much different experience. That's really exciting, especially that you've been able to go to two prolific film festivals within the last couple of months. And I'm really curious to hear about your experience at Sundance and also um, to hear about your experience too, Jamie. And thank you so much for joining us to um, tell us about your experience too. I'm happy to be back. How would you guys sum up your Sundance experience? I felt like for me, I watched more films that I liked at Sundance. I was definitely less tired than I was at TIFF. I think overall the experience of TIFF was a little bit easier because it's just easier to navigate and get around. It's all in one area. It's funny, last year I think I had maybe three movies overall the whole year that I gave four and a half stars on Letterboxd. After Sundance, I already have three that have four and a half stars. So there are quality, quality movies at Sundance. And you really, I mean, you're in a community with you know, like-minded movie nerds, and it's just, it's the place to be. I mean, all festivals are great, but Sundance has, like, a certain feel to it. It's it's awesome. You hear people talking in the lines while you're waiting for movies about what they saw, so you, like, really get a sense of the buzz of the festival. Yeah, it's like being in a, at an exclusive movie theater, like an AMC, like, but, a, like, exclusive club of people, and then everybody in town is either skiing or watching movies. So, And uh, you're surrounded by beautiful mountains, there's snow on the ground. It's cold at night. I mean, I felt like I was back home in Maine. Overall, it was a really fun experience. And like you said, it was really nice to hear and to discuss with all the people we were on shuttles with and stuff, uh, what we had seen, what they had seen, and what they, we each thought of those films. And it was really cool to hear other people's experiences on those subjects. Yeah, that's really, uh, really awesome. I've been to Utah a few times, and it definitely gets really cold over there. Um, definitely reminds me, as you said, your main days, Jamie, it reminds me of my Idaho days of snow and ice and all of that good stuff. I did want to touch on, there's a tip for my cane that I started using called the Dakota Disc that helps in the snow. And at first, I, it was very cumbersome. I thought it, like, it looked weird. 
But then once you start using it in the snow, you're like, oh my god, this is so cool. Like, it glides right through it. So it really helped me get around a lot better. That's really interesting about the uh, tip of the cane. I haven't heard of that, but I've never had to use my cane in snow, at least that I can recall, because I try to avoid going home when it's snowing. Uh, But yeah, I'll have to look into that. It looks like a little metal detector. (laughs) Yeah, people kept coming up to me at the festival and asking if it was a metal detector. And out of curiosity, was there anything that surprised either of you guys about uh, Sundance? Uh, Maybe it was like something that you were expecting that didn't happen or something that you weren't expecting that did happen. I think overall, like it was definitely, I mean, surreal to be there. I've always dreamed about going to Sundance. So it was really cool to actually go. The feeling of just being there in the snow, like being there for the buzz of it all and hearing you know, what's getting bought by who, and just, it, it, it all really lined up in that way with some of my expectations. It was really, really cool. I can imagine that the energy there would just be so thrilling. And then going to you, Jamie, uh, what was surprising, if anything, about your Sundance experience? It's kind of funny, because I, I guess, I, you know, I'd, I knew it was in a mountain town, and I just never thought of what that would mean, like trying to traverse these like icy, snowy streets in the middle of January <laughs> or late January. It's, it's funny that everybody from LA co- goes to a small mountain town in the worst time of year to watch movies. And that's really cool. I think it says a lot about the prestige of this festival and how celebrated it is, you know, being here for 40 years and being a staple of like Alex was saying earlier, the start of the Oscar race for the next year, you know, start of the buzz and all the people buying films like the the sales are are huge. And this is when it starts. And there's always that joke of um, L.A. really starts picking back up after Sundance because it's like a long vacation from Christmas and Thanksgiving. So it's like a big party in the mountain town. I love it. And I can imagine, too, just um, in addition to how much excitement there is there, it's just great to have so many people that are passionate about uh, film in one place, whether it's, you know, people that are looking to make business deals or just, you know, random movie fans. I think that it's a really cool bonding experience. Yeah, not only do you have Sundance taking place there, Slamdance is going on at the same time which is another festival. It just happens to be at the same time as Sundance in the same town. It's almost like an underground genre festival, I guess you could say. Yeah. And so it's really funny that, like, you know, you got those two festivals going. Some people are going to both. Some people are going to one. But pretty much anyone you run into on the street in Park City that week is at a festival of some kind. Or or they're skiing. We were on the bus with a lot of skiers and snowboarders, too. That would definitely track um, with it being in Utah. So let's go ahead and jump into the movies that you guys saw. I'm curious to know um, what your slate looked like, what you thought of the movies, and if you think that any of these are going to stay in the awards conversations as we move into the next awards season. So we did 10 movies in four days. Um, which is crazy because I was less exhausted than I was at TIFF and I think I only watched like seven or eight at TIFF. So on day one, we watched Every Little Thing and The Moo Guy at the Ray Theater, which is the only theater we went to that day. Every Little Thing is a hummingbird documentary about a hummingbird sanctuary in LA. I thought it was really interesting and it had beautiful visuals. It was definitely like a Sundance movie, like a documentary about hummingbirds, you know, nature. 
it feels like a very indie documentary. But it was really good, and I like how they tied it into the bigger, like, life questions. I mean, yeah, it's, re- it's really cool. It's a, it's a great little look into this woman who's been doing this for almost 20 years now in L.A. and just rescues hummingbirds, and they mix, they mix it with this beautiful cinematography, the phantom cameras, so they can get super slow-motion, high-detailed shots of these hummingbirds. And, like, there are a few hummingbirds you follow over the course of the film, like, you know, as she's re- rehabilitating them, if there's... You know, you kind of follow their progress if they if they pass, if they survive. And like she has like a recovery stage, like different phases of recovery. Like she has like little cages and then she has like a flight cage to try to test the flight with the bird. And then finally she has an outdoor sanctuary where it's just like the final step before she lets him out. And uh, it was just such a beautiful moving piece that mixes her work with her personal life. And it's really touching. It's nice to see a movie in Utah about our home la which is really cool and i was like oh man that's that's my home so at sundance what's really cool about film festivals is a lot of times there are q a's after with the filmmakers we had a q a for every little thing the director was there the subject was there no hummingbirds but the woman who saves the hummingbirds was there terry that's one of the coolest things about festivals honestly is the q a part of it all not every film had a q a we were I think we were fortunate enough to have at least, I think, seven or eight out of all of them. There was only a couple we didn't get. Then we watched this kind of horror thriller called The Mugai from New Zealand. It's about this, this horrific thing that happened in real life. It's uh, in probably the 60s or 50s. In New Zealand, they would steal Aboriginal children from their families in the woods, bring them to white houses, almost like to dilute the population to make everybody more white over time. So they take the youth, so the old people die out and they're slowly losing their heritage. And it's really crazy to think about. So they took that premise and made a horror out of it. And it was really cool. Like, I thought it was a really fun idea. The character, so it's like a, a typical gaslighting thriller, right? So she's fearful of this creature called the Mugai and she's coming to take her kids and her husband doesn't believe her. And then, all, you know, all that kind of stuff. She starts being called crazy. and But it's a weird shift where normally you, you believe and want to see that woman succeed or that person who's being gaslit succeed but she was such a like an asshole as a character it was really hard to to root for her in the movie even though that's what you're supposed to do right like you're supposed to want her to finally prove it to her husband like yeah this is really happening but it had some pretty funny humor in it and it had some pretty shocking moments i don't want to spoil but there was one point where everybody gasped in unison it was like insane i yeah it was it was definitely fun i think it didn't hit me as hard as I was hoping. It was a little bit um, by the book. It felt a little like Blumhousey, if that makes sense. It had a little like Invisible Man feel to it, which I loved the Invisible Man in 2020. This one wasn't as good as that, but it was still it was still interesting enough. And like the whole indigenous angle made it very unique. So like there was nothing bad we saw at Sundance for sure. This was probably on the lower end of things, but every film that we saw had something to admire about it which is another great thing about Sundance because you you know even if you don't necessarily like a movie it's not going to be like a waste of time mm-hmm. and I think one of the great things too about Sundance or any film festival is it does give you the opportunity to have exposure to films that maybe you would miss otherwise if you weren't at a film festival to be able to see them because if they don't find a distributor or they don't get a wide release or they're only in theaters for a few days or you know so many different factors could affect your ability to see some of these great films that you guys were able to see oh yeah exactly and i think one more thing about Guy, the creature effects were really cool too yeah 
Actually, I have another thing too. Is in the Q and A they had the two, well, the, I guess the lead three actors there, but the director wasn't there. And apparently, the two actors who are the leads were indigenous and had not seen the film before the screening. This is the and these two were the world premiere, by the way. Every little thing in Mugai were the world premiere, the first time we anyone saw them ever. And so they were there, and like it's a it's a horrific story for for their people to to have to witness on screen, and they they had no foresight beforehand which is crazy like they're just still trying to process it they were like kind of shaking up after in the q a i'm like wow yeah and there was someone else who was indigenous in the audience that said it really affected them so it's nice to see that like the movie hit the people it was trying to hit in the right way but it was wide enough where a lot of people could enjoy it and it's yeah it was really well done day two we watched three movies the first one we saw was good one which i think lee would really like this one because it's a very uh, intimate movie about a daughter going on a hike with her dad and her dad's best friend. And there are conversations, you know, obviously there are things that come up that they disagree with, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's definitely an intimate movie with a small setting and it's gorgeous with all the nature shots. But their conversation at some points really hits home. It's really good. It sounds right up my alley. Yeah, it's a nice little independent film where it's it's just a... It's just a character study. You know, you learn a lot about them and their personalities and talk about their past. And and the dad's best friend, you know, the son was supposed to come with them. And then he just they had a fight and he didn't come. So he just it was just the three of them. And then he's talking about his divorce. Like, you know, there's really good s- stuff there. It's a really good character study. And the acting, the performances were all fantastic. Like the three leads were exceptional. I really had I, that was my favorite film at that point, and I was like, "This is not going to change." So, but then that changed very quickly. So, and I think they said the girl they just found her. Like, wasn't she the daughter, like the friend of the director's daughter or something? I think so. She was an actor, but she didn't really have anything of note yet. So, yeah, it was really cool that she. This is her big break, hopefully. Oh, a lot of times, what's another thing that's cool about Sundance is a lot of times this is the filmmakers or actors' big break. Like, a lot of filmmakers started at Sundance. I think Richard Linklater did with Days and Confused. And there's so, um, Ryan Coogler with Fruitvale Station. There's so many directors that, like, got their start from the Sundance Film Festival. So it's cool to, like, just be there and, like, feel the history of, of it all, too. Um, what did we watch? See, we watched so many movies. What did we watch um, second that day, Jamie? Desire Lines at the Egyptian. That was our only time at the Egyptian, which, a beautiful theater. Yeah, Egyptian is the only theater on Main Street at Mm. Sundance, which is, that was really surprising to me, because I thought Main Street was going to be like TIFF, where there's like three or four theaters, everyone hangs out there, which, if you go there just during the day at Sundance, it's mostly people are chilling, hanging out there. But, um, like, they had a Napoleon Dynamite truck, because it was the 20th anniversary of Napoleon Dynamite. They were handing out tots and things like that. They had... Napoleon flash mob. (laughs) Yeah, they had the merch store. um, A lot of things going on on Main Street. But yeah, the Egyptians, the only actual theater there. But shout out to Matt Lauterbach for producing the audio description track for Desire Lines. So Desire Lines is a... I guess it's a narrative. But basically he's blending the line between documentary and fiction. So it's about um, a A female to male trans person. It's interesting because it's like a a time travel in a way. That's what it was like presented in the description. But it's like this guy is in a a future researching. Well, he's in like 2020, but it's a little more futuristic. But they're researching the female to male trans community. And then they intercut that with the doc part of it where 
they're interviewing a lot of uh, FTM males and how, like, you know, how their sexual attraction started. And, like, they were, like, for sure, before they transitioned, they were interested in women. They were talking about, like, turning, like, gay. And it was, it was an interesting, like, juxtaposition of the doc and narrative function. Um, some really laugh-out-loud moments and really fun conversations when the doc part. I like the doc part mo- more than the narrative, uh, actually, in my end. But Definitely the audio description track is great. I think it doesn't hold back from being adult. I think that's one of my, mm. that's been a lot of my criticisms of description is they kind of try and play it down for like PG, but like, no, Matt, Matt did a great job of making sure that it was as adult as the movie was. Um, and something that really stuck with me from the Q&A that the director said was as we push the boundaries of gender, we have to push the boundaries of genre. So I thought that that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that is a really uh, fascinating way to do a film and unique choice to kind of blend documentary with narrative. I'll be curious to check that out when it becomes more widely available. So then we went to my favorite film of the festival, uh, Love Lies Bleeding, which was in Salt Lake City. So they do screenings in Park City, which is the main Sundance Film Festival, and then they'll do screenings in Salt Lake City, too, for some of the movies because I think that's where most of the Utah population is. So we went down to Salt Lake to see Love Lies Bleeding, which comes out March 8th. It's from A24, starring Kristen Stewart, Ed Harris, Dave Franco, and who's the female co-lead? Katie O'Brien. I love this movie. This is totally right up my alley. It's a romantic crime thriller, almost like Fargo, where it spirals out of control. Ed Harris plays almost like a Nick Cage character. He's crazy. Um, it is so, so good. And I don't want to say too much. I just, I, I can't wait for people to see this movie. I can't wait to go see it again on March 8th. It's from the director of St. Maud, which I haven't seen. Lee, have you seen it? No, I've wanted to see that movie. I still need to check that out. It was on my list uh, when I first heard about St. Maud. So that's exciting to know that it's the same director. Yeah, and the audio description is also great for this movie, obviously, since it already had distribution by A24. I think it was Deluxe that did the description. If I remember right, Laura Post was the one who voiced it. But no, this is an outstanding film, and I cannot wait. I should note that I've heard it's very different in tone from St. Maud, so that might not be a good indicator. As long as you trust the director's process, you should be okay, but it's not the same tone I've heard. It's completely different. Because this is like an unraveling string, like it just keeps going and going, and it's like, how can this ever resolve? Like it's such a, a, a edgier seat, fun thriller, and it's so gory. It is insanely gory. Just just a heads up for anyone who doesn't like gore. Uh, but it is a really fun time, and there's again, there's really gas moments too there in, in that film, which I don't want to spoil, but I can't wait to talk about them. And there are funny moments too. Yeah, very much. And I I was telling a friend about this the other day, like. There are certain movies that almost give you like a high. It's almost like I keep, you know, we keep going to the movies. That's why we love it so much because we want to get that like that high. There were at least three or four movies at Sundance where I got that like, oh, my God, this is so good. I don't want it to end that like high feeling. And Love Lies, I think, was the first one that gave me that. And it started off with a string of them. That was our end of day two. So we ended day two on a high for sure. And then we started day three with my favorite movie of the festival, Thelma. And so Thelma is a very low stakes action movie. It's made 
with this 93-year-old lead, but played by June Squibb in her first starring role ever, I think. And she is this, you know, this loving grandma. Her kids are kind of like a little worried about her all the time. Her grandson is always worried about her. Like, you know, she's living by herself in her own house. So she gets a call from who she thinks is her grandson. And it's, uh, you know, the unfortunately, the truth now, there are people who will use AI to, or a similar voice person to make him think that it's your is their grandson. So he's asking for money for, for to bail out of jail, $10,000. She sends it out and the cops won't do anything. So she takes matters into her own hands to find the money herself. And she goes on this wild adventure in L.A. And it's a fun time. It is scored and it is shot like a Mission Impossible movie. So like it's it's intense action. And it's a very low, like she's rolling off the bed. Like, you know, it's like, it's like treacherous for somebody that age to do these kinds of things. So it's really funny that it takes that gravitas of a higher paced action movie like Mission Impossible and puts it in in an old lady's story. And it's really fun. Clark Gregg, Parker Posey, um, Richard Roundtree in one of his final roles before he passed. And um, to me, the standout besides June Squibb, of course, is Fred Heikinger. The grandson. Uh, you might have seen him in like uh, the first season of White Lotus, I think. But he's phenomenal too. He's really good, and he's like kind of stuck in his life. And you know, he's like, "How can I be stuck? I'm only like 22 or whatever." So, <laughs> and it's a really cute little um, relationship between him and his grandmother. Uh, so, oh, and Malcolm McDowell. But uh, highly recommend it. Uh, do you know if it's coming out? Is it picked up or anything yet? I don't know if it was picked up or not i think it, it will be because there were a lot of there's a lot of buzz around that so we saw this movie at the Eccles theater which is the biggest theater at sundance it's the venue everyone wants to play at because it's thousands of seats it's a high school auditorium and so since i had my cane we got to sit like in the front row of the Eccles. it was so cool and so for the q a we were like right there jamie got to talk to i recorded the q a i put it up on, on youtube i'll have to put it in the show notes <laughs> yeah, so if you want to see the Q&A for Thelma, check out Jamie's YouTube channel. I think there are minor spoilers in there, just so you know. But no, it, this movie is a lot of fun. I think this is one that Lee will like as well. It's very, um, it's like an action spoof with old people. It's, it's, it's very charming, for sure. I also appreciate the fact that it's like a refreshing take on the action genre, you know, because usually you think about just like, you know, these, you know, young or middle-aged men or these like, you know, kick-ass women. But once again, not people that are, you know, in the senior citizen or elderly category. And so I think that's a, a really unique and fresh take on that genre that I'll be very excited to see. And I really like June Squibb a lot. And it's great to see that she's finally getting a starring role in something. Yeah, and it's nice the director was saying it's kind of obviously it's not based on a true story, but she was scammed this exact way. She didn't send the money, but so they caught her. They caught her in time before she actually put it in the post office. But he kind of pictured like what would happen if with his real grandmother is named Thelma, and it's kind of based on her personality. And she's still alive. She's like 103 now. So she got to see the movie, which is really cool. But like he just takes what grandmother's personality would do in this situation, and she would go after and get her money back, and it's really fun. I think that was the best audience we saw a movie with because there were so many people and it was such an, I think comedies are such an atmospheric experience to watch in a theater. So I feel like that was the best audience atmosphere that we saw. Would you agree, Jamie? Oh, absolutely. All the laughs hit where they're supposed to. Everybody was, you know, having a great time. It had that high you were talking about earlier for me. It was just like, that's the movie I didn't know I needed to see, but I, I, I'm glad I did. Um, so, and for that one, we actually have a friend at Sundance that I met through. He's a friend of a friend. Skip 
if you're listening to this, thank you for <laughs> driving us around Sundance. But yeah, he gave us a little tour of everything and went to the movie with us. It was it was really great to have a contact who actually lives in Park City. Yeah, that's great. Uh, it's all, always helpful when you're in an unfamiliar area and you have someone that knows the area and can show you the ropes a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so then our second one that day is another one that I think Lee will really like. This was one of my favorite movies at the festival. It's called Hitman, directed by Richard Linklater. So this premiered at Venice last year. Then it was at TIFF, and I didn't get to see it at TIFF. And then it was at Sundance, so I finally got to see it at Sundance. (laughs) It was acquired by Netflix at Venice. So they've still been doing the festival circuit, even though they bought it. But Liz Gutman wrote the AD tracks. Thank you, Liz Gutman. The AD track was great. It's so good. I I was telling Jamie, literally before we walked in, I was like, how is Richard Linklater going to do an action movie? He did Bernie. He did the before trilogy he did days and confused but i'm like those movies do not like scream action and oh my god like this is exactly what you would imagine it to be like a very personal grounded action movie it's about um a hitman who basically he poses as a hitman and arrests people who try and hire him so he's working for the police so it's a thing operation yeah it, it's a sting operation and it's fascinating because obviously it's a crime thriller spirals out of control but like glenn powell is so good in this movie and he embodies he models his hitman after whoever is hiring him so he embodies a character of who they think who he thinks they would want as their hitman he's so good in this movie i would love for him to get a best actor nomination i don't i don't know that that's going to happen maybe an indie spirit award nomination but he also co-wrote this with richard Linklater. he gets to play around a lot too like he has different like characters he plays and he plays them really well his initial character, Gary, is really meek. And and then he drops that facade when he becomes these other people. And I, yeah, I wouldn't say it's an action. It's definitely a crime thriller in a fun way. It's a phenomenal performance from Glenn Powell. And I, and I really was was delighted with that film. It was really fun to watch. Yeah, Richard Linklater is one of my favorite directors. He was not there. I was so sad. I was hoping he would be there, but it's okay. I got to see the movie, so that's fine. But yeah, watch out for Hitman on Netflix, because that's <clears> definitely one of my faves. I'm excited to see what Lee thinks of that one. What did we... I can't even remember what we saw after that one, our third oh, one that day. I saw the TV glow. That's right. This was one of the weirdest movies we saw at the <laughs> festival. It's called I Saw the TV Glow. It's with... It's with Justice Smith from Detective Pikachu. Yeah. And uh, Bridget Lindy Payne. They played the daughter in Bill and Ted Face Music. I'm going to let Jamie talk about that. Because, okay, all I have to say about this <clears> one is the visuals are beautiful. The story is really weird. I think I liked the first half better than the second half. Like I said, there were no bad movies we saw, but I think, I don't know that I need to watch this one again. It was interesting, but I think it hit Jamie really, it sat with him really well, so I'll let Jamie talk about this one. You know, at first I was kind of upset of how it ended. Like, I feel like there was no character growth, and I think that was, it was more of a subtle growth than I expected. But yeah, I came in with high expectations of this one because the description talked about... So basically, these two like kind of outcasts become friends in high school and start watching this show that is pretty much based off of Are You Afraid of the Dark? But they have a monster of the week, which is kind of like Power Rangers-ish. And there's like an overlord they have to get to. It's like a psychic battle with this this moon demon or whatever. So, but it's, it's very much like the cheesy Are You Afraid of the Darks from the 90s. They're kind of parodying. And they both love the show. And then you kind of jump in, in time around a little bit. You see them in the future when they're a little older. You know, they kind of have a falling out. And then um, it's a really interesting premise. Beautifully shot. 
the visuals, the colors are so nice. Oh, it's gorgeous. Lots of reds and blues. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go into spoilers, but I took something from it. And then we talked to a person. Another another great thing about Sunday is we talked to somebody on the shuttle waiting for the shuttle. She was a volunteer at the festival. Yeah, and she was there when the director when she was there the last time and it was it was more about like hiding who you are like as a queer person and i was like oh i didn't totally get that at all and so now i really want to watch it again to see what i pick up on knowing that i don't know if that's supposed to be public knowledge but she said it in the q a but i i looked at it more of like creativity and kind of being stuck because that's what i get out of that stuff as a cis white male yeah i think you and i were more looking at it from a career standpoint but Hearing that really opened our eyes to it more. But yeah, I I mean, if you're into more art, artsy movies, definitely check this one out. It's not for everyone, but it, it's certainly an interesting movie. Mm-hmm. With the way that you guys have been talking about this movie, um, even before we started recording this, it makes me incredibly intrigued. Whether or not I like this movie is, jury's still out on that one, but I'm really intrigued to watch this movie now. And I think this was Bleecker Street, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, so it should be at the six, the Burbank six or eight. It should get a small theatrical distribution, I would think. So that was our end of day three. Our last day, day four, we watched two movies, both of which I really liked. Yeah. The first one was Skywalker's A Love Story. Ironically, I wore my Star Wars shirt on this day, even though Skywalker's is not a Star Wars movie. Skywalker's is a documentary about a couple who are, they're rooftoppers. So their whole thing, they break into skyscrapers around the world and they're not stealing anything. Their whole goal is to just get to the very top of the spire and take a picture for social media. And so I guess this is kind of like an extreme sport people do, especially if you're like acrobatic and things like that. So the woman is a former gymnast whose parents were in the circus. So she grew up in that kind of acrobatic lifestyle. Yeah. And so she meets this other guy who was also a rooftopper and you know obviously they start falling in love but it's all like in the backdrop of the russia ukraine war too and just like the shots in this movie are incredible like on top of these skyscrapers and i'm kind of bummed that netflix bought it because that means most people are going to watch it on their tv yeah i want to go to the egyptian what the theater that netflix owns to rewatch this because i would say try and see it on the biggest screen possible because oh my god like there are moments where i felt a little nauseous because you feel so high up, but it is so good. And like, it's almost like a thriller of a documentary, I would say, because it's just, it's so intense. There, there are parts of it where you're like, you think you know where it's going, but you don't. It almost becomes like a heist movie at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Because they, you know, they use like this, the heist movie aesthetics and, and score and the graph of them trying to climb this building, this this new skyscraper. One of the coolest things that they said at the Q&A was, so the guy... Basically, when he goes up there with his girlfriend, they, they want to do like an, an acrobatic pose. So a lot of the time he'll be holding her, or, you know, do something crazy on the top where you're like, oh my God, I would freak out. But at the same time as holding her up, he has to fly the drone because the crew doesn't go up to the top with them because it's too dangerous. They shoot all their own footage. It is crazy. I'm like, he's holding her and flying the drone at the same time. It is so impressive. This was definitely my top three at the festival. This is another four four and a half star for me i absolutely love this movie yeah hopefully if it comes out in theaters even for a week you know netflix usually does like a very short run try to watch it in imax if you can yeah oh man you need to watch it in the biggest screen possible so one of the best things about this documentary is i love it when you come out of a movie and people are saying oh i need to watch more documentaries that's what you want from 
from this movie. And that's definitely how you feel. You're like, oh, I want to find more movies like this. Nice. I'll have to um, catch it before it hits Netflix. Hopefully, like you were saying, Alex, at the Egyptian theater. And I always love good documentaries. And I really appreciate the fact that documentaries are starting to get more recognition and more widespread attention um, throughout the past few years. And I would love to see that trend continue. And it sounds like with a movie like this, that helps push uh, documentaries forward as well. Yeah. I think the Volcano one from a few years ago, Fire of Love, yeah. that made my top 10. I actually think I like this one better than Fire of Love. It's a very similar premise, right? Like you follow the, this couple who's doing something very dangerous. And they were doing it for geological research. You know, and this is for social media fame, but it's still like the love story at the center of the film. And then you follow them as they try to accomplish this massive goal. And it's really cool. It's a different style, though. It definitely feels more intense, like an, like a normal narrative movie because of all the stakes, because of the POV shots where you're looking over the edge. Like, oh, God, I, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to I'm going to stop eating this popcorn right now because <laughs> I was getting queasy. You know, you don't know if you're afraid of heights until you see something like that. Oh, I, I knew I was afraid of heights, but I think that's an eyesight thing. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of some of the shots in Free Solo. Yeah. The documentary that came out a while at like 2018 or maybe it was 2017, somewhere around there. But just some of those shots, you know, like were really intense and could easily make anyone afraid of heights. I still haven't seen that one. It's been on my list forever and I regret not seeing it on the big screen. It's on Disney Plus. You watch it there with AD. Yeah. One other thing about Skywalkers, I thought it was interesting that it's all in Russian. That's what the subjects speak. But they do voiceovers in English. And someone asked him a question like, how did they know English? And he said, no, he taught them how to say those lines in English. They were from interviews that he took before and he just had them say it again. And he had them do it in English so that it would appeal to more audiences if it were in English as well. So I thought that was really interesting that he knew that it would reach a wider audience if it wasn't just in Russian. Yeah, that was a good idea because their story of the love between them is such a relatable thing. That was a great audience, too, because it was such an intense movie. I feel like the audience was like on a ride with us. It was crazy. Yeah. Speaking of wild rides. Yeah. Dude, oh, my gosh. So our last movie we saw was called Sasquatch Sunset. So I went into this movie with low expectations because someone had messaged me and told me to skip this one. And he said there's no dialogue. And I was like, well, there's no dialogue. The audio description is going to be great. Boy, was I right. This is such a fun movie. This is like, it's definitely not for everyone. I honestly don't know how Lee is going to feel about this one. But it's it's about a family, a year in the life of a family of Sasquatches. There's zero dialogue. Jesse Eisenberg and Riley Keown play Sasquatches. Full makeup. You never know it's them until the credits roll. It is so funny. It's hilarious. Like, they have so many stereotypes of, like, the drunk husband, the, you know, there's so many things, like, in our lives that we can relate to this movie and things that the Sasquatches do. It is so funny. I can't remember the last time I laughed that hard in a theater. And honestly, I think the audio description helped my enjoyment because of the way they were describing things. And just, I I was laughing so hard at, like, the description. And I'm like, I wish we could play this movie with open description at AMC and urge people to go because I think this is the perfect movie to point to be like, oh, you don't know what audio description is? 
Go watch Sasquatch Sunset and you'll see what it is. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because I didn't know anything about the Sasquatch part of it. I thought it was just like a name, like an artsy name. I knew it was a Jesse Eisenberg movie. But the, the description says you follow a family in the woods in a year of their life. Like it didn't, It's like you're watching a nature doc of this family with no narration. And it, it's like the, you're going to laugh like if you love the early 2000s like raunchy comedies like that's the kind of vibe i got out of watching this and laughing very hard at like you know fart jokes and stuff like that like that's why some people might be turned off by it but i think it was really funny and well done and the prosthetics were amazing i, I really couldn't tell which one was jesse or riley until i look at their eyes i'm like i think that's her but yes i, I would love for this to be best makeup next year at the oscars for sasquatch sunset that would be amazing so look out for this one. It's really fun. Um, like I said, if you like kind of more of a raunchy humor or if you just like nature docs, it's a really fascinating approach to a film. And a lot of those films that don't have narr- like dialogue I kind of, can be turned off like if the, if it's like an intentional art art choice. But it, it works so well here and it makes sense that I highly recommend it. And for everyone listening to this, I urge you to watch this with audio description because it is so funny. I'm not going to lie, when um, you were first telling me about this movie, Alex, and that it's about a family of Sasquatches, and there's no dialogue, and they're played by these actors, I'm just like, this sounds absolutely ridiculous. And to a certain degree, I'm sure it is ridiculous, but I think it's to the point now where it sounds so ridiculous to me, having no context for it, um, other than what you guys have talked about here, that... My interest is highly peaked now, and I will eagerly be anticipating this movie. So then the last one, uh, Lee and I watched together. So Lee, do you want to give your thoughts on A Real Pain before I give mine? This is part of the virtual Sundance experience, and Alex and I watched A Real Pain with Jesse Eisenberg and Kieran Culkin. So Jesse Eisenberg wrote and directed this film, and... I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really fun screenplay. There's a lot of like banter back and forth. There's a lot of fun character dynamics, some really good humor. I thought that both Jesse Eisenberg and Kieran Culkin did a really great job. Um, They play cousins, and I thought that they had really good chemistry with each other, and I thoroughly enjoyed this film. I think that it could have possibility to be in the best screenplay category next year, but, you know, it's still early this year, so we'll see what else comes out. But I think it's a very well-written, very well-directed, and very well-acted movie with a lot of fun and um, a lot of heart, too. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed this one. I think it's probably my fourth or fifth favorite from Sundance because I had so much fun with the other ones. This one was a lot more serious, but it also had some fun moments too. Fox Searchlight acquired it for $10 million. I think they are probably going to put it out November-ish for um, Oscars for next year. I think they're hoping for a screenplay nom. I think they're hoping for Kieran Culkin to get nominated. He kind of plays the same character he does in Succession, but he's so good at like that snarky, lovable asshole kind of character. That you're like, I, I could watch you play this all all my life. It's great. <laughs> he has so many, like, those snarky jokes. You're like, oh, man, like, it was so mean. But you're like, I, I don't want that to stop. But it's about these two cousins that go to Poland and to visit a concentration camp. So it is a rather serious movie. But it's, defi- it's interesting to see their relationship and dynamic in the backdrop of World War II. And I think it handles the subject with a nice balance of humor so it doesn't feel overly heavy while still understanding what this subject matter is and 
how to address certain components and certain things that go along with that subject matter too. Yeah, exactly. But yes, this one was very good. So I do recommend checking this out when it comes out later this year. I'm sure we will be talking about it down the line when it does come out into theaters. And um, But overall, like, I didn't see, I mean, obviously I didn't see any other blind people at Sundance. Jamie, did you? No. So I'm hoping as the years go on, we can have more blind representation at these big festivals. I think that will benefit everyone to have that happen. But yeah, no, Sundance was so much fun. I'm really hoping this isn't my last time going. On that note, um, in terms of accessibility for this festival, I know that we touched on accessibility for TIFF as well. How accessible was this festival for you in whatever aspects you might want to touch on? I don't think Sundance was as accessible as TIFF. I think mostly because of the transportation side of things, getting around Sundance is a lot harder, which is why I had Jamie with me. Just the snow and ice, but then, you know, taking the buses everywhere, all of that. But I do think there are ways that it can be done. And I think it it is definitely an experience and, you know, hopefully we can get things easier at some point. But in terms of audio description, there were some great audio description tracks. There were some just okay ones. Like, I think just like every other festival, there aren't as many options of audio described movies as movies that don't have audio description. Like when you're picking your tickets, just like at TIFF, if you don't get the ones that you want, you're kind of... SOL because you know these are the only movies you can pick from so I I think there's still a long way to go for the festival system to become accessible I mean overall I think the staff at Sundance are very accommodating I think the accessibility branch of Sundance is trying their absolute best and they did a great job actually there was one time we went to a theater a device wasn't working and the next time we went to the theater they had different devices for me ready to go so Like, the accessibility at Sundance, the team that works in accessibility is outstanding. They are really trying to make this festival be as accessible as they can and try and break new ground in terms of accessibility and being super accommodating with everything. So I think everyone at all of these festivals, especially Sundance, are trying so hard. And I think all I can do is say thank you and we're we're all learning to see how we can make things better. It's definitely a team effort, and it sounds like, you know, there's steps in the right direction for sure. And just wanted to check in with you too, Jamie. Um, As someone who is um, fully sighted, but who was with Alex, um, if you had any additional thoughts about accessibility at this festival. I guess it's more of just getting around and not trying. It's hard to traverse these sometimes icy, sometimes snowy areas. And a lot of times they close off the roads for certain events and stuff, especially in Main Street. So you have to walk around it and usually you have to walk through snow. Like the first night we were there, we walked through a bunch of snow because everything's kind of spread out. You know, there's a lot of space in Utah, especially outer parts of Park City or, or you know, surrounding areas. So stores are really hard to get to because you have to walk. There's no walkways. And if the walkways are there, sometimes they're not fully plowed or shoveled. So it's, it gets to, to be a little cumbersome, but luckily enough, we were close to a shuttle route. So it, that helped us most of the time. And then when we couldn't do that, like if that's another thing too, I wish we'd had more um, shuttles that were later. There were sometimes the movie got done so late, there was like one every 30, 40 minutes of the route we needed. Like they skipped every other one because they, they didn't have enough drivers. Like if they had those available to us, especially knowing these movies are playing this late, that would be more helpful. I think also the theater staff and volunteers, I mean, everyone is so passionate about movies and everyone's trying to make everyone's experience 
amazing. And especially at Rose Wagner, the Ray, Redstone, it's just like these people care so much about making your experience great, not just at the festival, but like a great movie experience because they all love movies. And so whenever I'm getting the audio description devices and things, they're they're all trying so hard to make sure it works and I can enjoy it as much as everyone else can. And I really appreciate all of that. Yeah, shout out to Brian at The Ray who helped us perfect the audio description there over our four films there. And then uh, Grubby at Redstone helped a lot. That was the one that he got a new device the next day we went. That was really awesome. Like he got it shipped over just for you. Yeah. So Grubby volunteers at TIFF, volunteers at Sundance, is from Chicago and works at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. I'm like, how do you do this? (laughs) But no, it was overall a very, very awesome experience. Literally like a dream come true. It was so cool. But yeah, I, I definitely recommend if you haven't been to a film festival going, go to the theater in general. Obviously, we preach that all the time. Go to the movie theater. I know it's a pain in the ass, especially if you need audio description, but like they're only going to learn and get better. But I, I love the theatrical experience, the festival experience, movies in general. But like just this communal thing that you feel when you're at a festival or at a theater is amazing. Yeah, I agree with that. There is nothing like the communal experience of watching a movie with a whole crowd of other people and sharing those moments together, whether it's laughter, tears, shock, uh, fear, any of it. It's all just so wonderful. And yeah, thank you guys so much for um, recapping your Sundance experience and educating me on movies that I would have never known existed if it weren't for both of you guys. And Jamie, um, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks for going to Sundance with me. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. I mean, yeah, you didn't have to twist my arm that much. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you so much to Matt Lauterbach for making that awesome audio description track on Desire Lines, but also doing the transcriptions for these episodes. So Matt Lauterbach and All Senses Go, thank you so much. I'd really like to thank Sundance and Descriptive Video Works for helping me get over there for my first time in person. And I'd also like to shout out Ashley Eakin, who was on our show and who we ran into at Sundance because she had a film at Slamdance. And uh, we met our mutual friend, Corey Reeder there. That was really fun to see. He was at Slamdance as well. We also met Nick Novicki, who was in charge of the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. And he announces it every year at Sundance. So we got to meet him and talk to him about that. And it's a buddy comedy and it's a, Sign-ups are up until April 1st, so if you want to sign up, please do. And it's uh, from April 2nd to the 7th, five days to make a film. So if you're interested, as long as you have any person with disabilities on the crew or in front of the camera, you should you can be uh, eligible for a buddy comedy, so look into it. And for those of you out there um, who are listening, if you have been to Sundance or um, any other film festival and you want to dialogue with us, about your experience, uh, feel free to email us at darkroomfilmcast at gmail.com. And speaking of engaging in conversation, we recently got an email from Brett. And Brett, we just want to shout you out and thank you so much for contacting us. Brett is an audio describer and uh, he was just talking about what he's learned from the podcast episodes we've done with some of the audio describers we've had on. Uh, So yeah, um, anything that you guys want to dialogue about once again, feel free to reach out at any time. We love to hear from you. It meant a lot hearing from Brett. 
him saying that we get into the nuts and bolts of audio description. It, it always feels really good to hear from anyone, but especially in reference to something that we are so passionate about. So thank you so much for reaching out, and we hope to hear from some of you other listeners as well at some point. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Darkroom Filmcast. Uh, once again, that's at Darkroom Filmcast. And Jamie, where can people find you? Uh, you can follow me everywhere at Guy on a Wire. That's like Man on a Wire. Uh, Guy on a Wire uh, on Instagram and YouTube and everything. Um, I make horror shorts that are on my YouTube page. I, uh, I don't post much on Instagram, but you know. If you want to follow me, go ahead and drop a line and uh, watch my shorts if you can. Yeah, Jamie's shorts are really good, everyone. So please check them out. They're awesome. And thank you so much for joining us today. And we will, I'm sure, be talking about award season and other things coming up in the very near future. Have a good day. Bye.